0: Scabble this to order, then Andrew Nosworthy. Uh, thank, thank you for your time, bro. I I know, like you and I have kind of been two ships passing in the night uh, at NYU a few times. I know that there was a piece. I remember. How, I very distinctly. I was trying to remember where we first met, and I feel like I have this memory being outside of Low Theater. And you, yeah. you had like a score or something and you were like, I'm writing for steel drums. What should I do? And, yeah. and, yeah. and I don't remember what I said, or if it was at all helpful or where that piece yeah. landed, but, um, but that, that's sort of our really only face-to-face interaction. Um, Am I remembering that correctly?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Essentially. I think, um, I can't remember if that was during a, a same trip or before or after, but it was, it was also, there was also some sort of meetup in one or two um, steel, steel pan ensemble or steel pan mm. uh, uh, orchestra. Cause Yaz was playing in that. So we were, uh, I remember, I, I think I like sat in to watch a rehearsal and then I can't remember that there was a chat outside low. And I think I sent you that score after because yeah, it was like a mixed ensemble and I had the, percussion part was a was a steel pan or mostly a steel pan and Mm -hmm. actually funny funny enough i ended up doing a couple different arrangements of that because uh the percussionist that played it it was played here at at western in in london ontario canada and the percussionist who played it uh didn't have access to the same kind of steel pan so Mm. still still hoping to get a performance someday of of that with the steel pan version but it ended up being multi-percussion actor. so there's two versions but yeah Yeah, Yeah, it's,
0: it's the unfortunate, I mean, it's the one thing that whenever I'm telling or talking to people who are writing for steel pan is like, do all this, but then also you may not, (laughs) (laughs) not everybody has access and the quality of instruments is different depending on who you're, you know? So anyway, well, I, I hope in your, for your sake that you get a steel drummer to play it as well, but you're also Mm
1: -hmm.
0: dating one. That's true. Could have, yeah, Yeah. (laughs) he has a very good band player, so have them play it. Um, Yeah,
1: that's right. That's right. Um, yeah,
0: hopefully sometime soon. Yeah, well, okay, so let, let I've been listening to your guitar stuff. Um, and uh yeah, we have some there's other things on the docket to possibly talk about. Um, but I wanna sort of if you don't mind, go back to like baby Andrew and like <laughs> tell me a little bit about like where you're from, like what'd your parents do, like what got you playing guitar and like just in general, what got you into doing what you're doing?
1: Yeah, sure. Um in a, in a nutshell, I, I grew up in a place called Labrador City or sometimes referred to as Labrador West, which is uh, in the province of Newfoundland and Labrador, but Newfoundland is an island and Labrador is basically uh, – mostly forest kind of area attached to the east and north side of Quebec it's kind of mm-hmm. the it's kind of comparable to the the territories the northwest territories in in canada but it's on like the far east side mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um and i mostly grew up there and uh in a small little mining town like a steel mining town of about i think 12,000 people or something and the next the next town is small in mean, either direction is like smaller than that is for like a 10 hour drive down a dirt road. So it very isolated mm-hmm. kind of environment. Um, so I kind of grew up there and, uh, my parents not, I have some cousins that like play guitar, but I was never really like close with them growing up or didn't really know them because they were in Ontario or across mm-hmm. the country. Mm-hmm. So I didn't really have, um, like my parents like music a lot, but they were, they don't play anything or they're not really involved with music. My, uh, my mom's always been involved with like secretary based jobs. And my dad was a transport truck driver. So he was a mover who would do runs and drive fuel trucks and drive and moving trucks and 18 wheelers and stuff like that. Whoa. So, um, yeah. So, and so I'm sorry, I'm sorry. That yeah, Like
0: there's yeah. my, my dad, uh, he drove trucks a lot, but he ended up selling – at the end of his life, he was a truck salesman. He worked for Kenworth. and um, oh, okay. And so like I'm sure Kenworth – and if I say Kenworth or International, I think you probably are like, "Yep, yeah. I saw those trucks. Yeah, um, yeah. I think, yeah, I think yeah. everybody thinks of Mack Truck as being the thing, but like when I grew up, it was Kenworth and International. Those were like the two – that was Coke and Pepsi in my house, you know. Right, um, right. Yeah,
1: yeah. No, I've heard of those and, names before
0: for sure. It was interesting like talking to my dad about like trucker culture and the way like I learned – the, the etiquette I have on the freeway, like when mm-hmm. I'm driving with people who, you know, who maybe don't have never even thought about this stuff, like blinking your lights and knowing like being respectful of trucker. Tr- I'm overly like aware of <laughs> the drivers on the road in a way that like I'm very polite and always waving to them because I know that their life in general is really stressful and really hard and very lonely. Yeah, um, yeah, and that was the stuff my dad, my dad was just like, be nice to them. They are the people who are going to save your life. And so as, as you were saying about <laughs> your dad, like, 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 did your, did any of that, did your dad impart any of that on you too? Like, like, what was, what was it? What was, what was the conversations like in your house? Growing yeah. Through?
1: Yeah. Well, yeah, I think, I think for sure. I mean, like, uh. Uh, he was, he was kind of always in and out as a truck driver, as you know, like always like on the road, back and forth, come back for a couple days and gone for a week. And mm-hmm. he, he worked for various different companies because later on he would work for like a local company driving different kinds of trucks around. So there was sometimes he worked for certain jobs that were not like out and on the road, but for, I would say for a good two thirds of my, my life until I was 17 or 18, he definitely was on the road as a, as a mover. And, uh, I think there, there is some of those things that he imparted, but I think it's, um, a lot of it I see now more when I'm like older, because I, I feel like, I feel like when I was younger, I was very like academically driven. Mm-hmm. And now I feel like, I, I, like as time has gone on, I'm actually a little bit more like, like, uh, labor driven to an extent. I don't even know if that really makes sense. Yeah, but Explain like, that a little bit. I, what do you, what do you mean by that? I think I know what I you mean, mean, but, but yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it's like, like when I was younger, I was really like, um, like really book smart in a lot of ways and not like really like good with my hands and stuff. Like, and, and it's, it kind of transferred over a lot of things. Like I was always interested in like video games and computers as a kid, rather than like cars or like trucks or like things like that, which was, which was interesting in lab because in Labrador, like, everybody owns like a snowmobile. Like you can actually drive snowmobiles on the roads from, mm-hmm. I don't know, December until March. Like snow is snow is there from October until April or so. Yeah. And it's like, not it's, like
0: having a snowmobile is not like a charming luxury. It's no, <laughs> it's like, like the first time I went to Winnipeg, my friend Julian Pelicano right. is the conductor there. I went to Winnipeg and people are like ice skating to work. And
1: I was yeah. like, Oh, yeah, that's, yeah. Cu-
0: that's cute. And I'm like, no, that's their shoes to get to work. You know, <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah it yeah. snowed in Ohio when I grew up, but like never for long enough that I needed blades in order to get to school. You know,
1: yeah, exactly. Yeah, I always tell people like when I was in New York, and they would they would hear I was from Canada. Like, very rarely did they know of like the place that I was from, or know what that's like about. Like, really, they know Canada as like Toronto and Montreal, and maybe Vancouver or something like that. Right. And I feel like a lot of people in the states have like this conception, and it is cold in Canada, and and they think that like there's snow all year round and it's really cold and it's very like all this kind of stuff. And I feel like they think about those things and then they think like Canada is like Toronto or Montreal and Toronto and Montreal are not really like that, but where I grew up is like that. So it's always kind of funny, you know,
0: most of Canada is that, I mean, like the major metropolitan areas and, and I may be ignorant on some stuff here, but like are basically on the border with the, with the U S you know, they're all Southern. but Canada's massive and most of it is ice and cold and you know, that show ice road truckers like,
1: yeah, it's yeah. As soon as you get into the Northern parts of any province, you start getting into that stuff. So, uh, but on the labor thing, I think that like I was just I was never just like a a really kind of like I don't like to get my hands dirty, I guess. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it's I don't mean to say like that my dad isn't like a really smart guy because he is a really smart guy. But he was always, you know, a, a manual labor kind of worker of some sort. But the funny thing is, is that that like grind mentality is what I ended up like bringing into music to an extent. Mm-hmm. So like. Uh, like once I finally like once I started getting into music and like that became really like my life from like 13 onwards when I started playing guitar. Basically I just like picked up guitar because I wanted to start playing like Black Sabbath and stuff. It was really it. It was like I was into like Black there's Sabbath No shame in that game, man. There's no shame yeah. in that game. That was that was it. I was just like learning like paranoid start to front, basically, like that record. So that was that was like that kind of stuff when I started playing guitar when I was like 13. I was into all those classic metal bands and then I started getting into hardcore and melodic death metal and i was into a lot of prog and later high school and stuff so there's a whole thing but i think throughout that whole thing like i brought this kind of like grind and workers kind of mentality that he had from before that it was about you know like grinding and working hard and putting in like the time to do stuff and putting in like the hours to do things and like living inside something and like really committing to something but then also even just like lugging gear and stuff you know like and now I I find myself almost even like drawn to that like I think when I was even at NYU I would end up helping out at the percussion moves afterwards we might have even crossed paths in that when I was a a student there because like I knew a bunch of the percussionists and I would always just end up like helping them because I'm just I'm used to lugging amps and I'm Mm -hmm. used to like the only vehicle I ever owned was a van and we were pack up to play like band shows to 10 people in teen centers and you know I'm just I'm used to that kind of stuff I guess so it's kind of weird but yeah I think you know you know
0: well that's I mean you're there's a lot of bells going off in my head as you're talking too and and when you say the word grind I mean that's something uh, how old are you if you don't mind me asking
1: no I'm it's uh, I'm 30
0: 30 so I just I'm 42 and there's enough I'm seeing some sort of like percolations of push back against the, the word grind or the idea of like and hustle, maybe I don't even like that word mm. either necessarily. Cause there's a lot of implications there, but just the yeah. like, you know, if you want to look like Arnold Schwarzenegger sh- steroids, yes, you could do that too, but, but <laughs> let's, let's cleave those out. But like, there's just a lot of bench presses he's done in his life to get that skill set to the point where he can do it at 2am or 9am and he can, he knows exactly what muscle, you know, I don't want to be a bodybuilder, but like in music, I'm very aware of like my, the 12 hours a day I practiced in grad school at Yale, like where I wasn't mm-hmm. hanging out with my girlfriend when I wanted to be, thankfully she's my wife now. And like, we, we, <laughs> we survived that time, but yeah, you know, she's a pastor, she's a Lutheran pastor. And I see the same need for the, like, no one is going to tell you to work.
1: Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. You
0: have to, like she gets up, she has to write her sermon. She has to write a new piece every Sunday and then perform it. And there's a grind to that where some weeks, some weeks for her go great. Some weeks I Mm -hmm. can tell that she's like only seeing three words ahead of what she's written. And I'm like, I know what that feels like. (laughs) I'm there a lot. You know, I know that feeling, baby. But then there's other days, weeks where she grinds it out and she's reading it three sentences ahead of where she's at, you know. Yeah. Um, And I'm kind of curious for you, like the line for me where my grind stops, where I'm unwilling, where I know I'm actually grinding I've met bone and I'm just sort of like grinding (laughs) down and I'm not actually getting anything back. You know, Um, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. That, that line for me has gotten farther and farther away from me, or at least I'm willing to push and push. And I'm kind of curious for you, how have you sort of tracked that line
1: for yourself the older you get? Yeah. Um, I think one of the bigger things I've tried to do over the last couple of years is, um, I don't know if I've necessarily always been like tracking that line to an extent, mm. but I, I try to like set aside dedicated time where I like don't have to do that where I can like recharge. So mm. I try to like I try to like set aside, which I guess is all part of it anyway, but like before I used to just like I would sit down, whether it was practicing or like writing or like working on a recording for something or or whatever it was. And I would just sit down and I would say, Okay, I'm just gonna do this until I can't, I feel like I can't do it anymore. And I'm just going to like do it. And maybe that'll be a couple hours. Maybe that'll be six hours. Maybe that'll be whatever. And now I I feel like when I sit down, I try to sit down and I say, okay, I'm only going to do this for like three or four hours, but I'm going to do it like really focused and intense for those three or four hours. And then I'm going to, I'm going to step away from it. And really I I had to start, I had to start doing that about a year, a year and a half ago, because I was just, when I was at the dissertation proposal stage of, of this degree, I was just getting like so burnt out by writing that proposal and yeah. like it was the writing part of it. And then I felt myself also feeling like that last spring with one movement of the, my dissertation piece which is which is an electric guitar concerto. And I, I was actually even mentioning this to like a family member earlier, but like how one of the things that annoys me so much about this stuff sometimes is that I always need to like, I always need to like put in the time to feel like I'm like doing something with it. But sometimes the results are never, which I'm sure you definitely relate to, and everybody does, the results are never actually indicative of, like, that. You know what I mean? Like, like the actual, like, what comes out doesn't necessarily show always, sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. Like, I took, like, I don't know, uh, I took, like, May until September to write, like, a two-and-a-half-minute interlude movement of this. Now, granted, it was fast, and it was very dense, but it was it was like, you know, half a year to write a two and a half movement. And then last week I sat down and I wrote three minutes, (laughs) like, you know what I mean? Like of, of something else. So it's like, you know, where, so I'm just trying to like balance that stuff out. Like I can definitely feel it, but I try to like, also like, give myself that recharge time and say, okay, if I'm going to do this, I'm just going to focus intensely for that time. Mm-hmm. And then I'm going to step away because the next time I come back at it, it'll, I'll feel good about it. I won't feel exhausted, I guess. I don't know if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, totally. I mean, uh, this is probably like nine or 10 years ago at Soce, um We had um, Martin and Drew from Matmos came down mm-hmm. and, and gave a lecture and it was, and those guys, it's just like drinking out of a fire hose with both of them when they're talking and it but they said something Drew Drew went up because he's like, Listen, we're experimenters. Like and the definition of an experiment is you're doing something for which you the outcome is unknown and unpredictable. There's just no way you can predict what's about to happen. Um and so he wrote on the board recipe does not equal cake. And I was like there you, go. you know, like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like we have there is a you can have a recipe your intentions don't always necessarily equal the results especially in art in particular when when a lot of what you're doing intentionally speaking might be very personal you know i've written a lot of work about my dad's death mm-hmm. from als you know and there's a fine line i walk there of like okay this means something to me very specific that yeah. is something i can't really explain to anybody else how do I present it in a way that doesn't force everybody else because nobody else has that particular experience in their life or somebody might, but like, but then sometimes I want to force everybody. And then, then like, because I want that. And then the results aren't necessary, you know? And, but yeah, yeah. you know, but I think just to sort of encourage you along that path a little bit, like if I've done 10 versions of a piece about my dad, I would say one of them worked.
1: Right. Right. You know, one of
0: them worked really in the way that I, unintentionally wanted them to work you know <laughs> like yeah yeah and so there yeah. was just nine abject failures in front of people you know that yeah. that took me to get to that one and so like as you're writing like what are some failures for you like when i say failure i don't mean like something happened and so you're never going to do it again but what's something where maybe your your recipe was like yeah got this recipe. And then you put the <laughs> cake out there and everybody's like, why'd you make a carrot cake? And you're like, bitch, I made a spice cake. <laughs> <laughs> like, like what, like is there any moment for you where you had that experience and and that really sort of had made you tease out a little bit of how you craft something?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think like, uh, I'm trying to think of, of, a, of a really good example of that. And I feel like, I feel like most of the examples of that are always kind of time dependent of when I kind of come back to them or things like that. Mm. And, and I've had a lot of, I feel like I, sometimes I feel like very fortunate that I stick with something or that I don't like give up on something because I feel like, I feel like that was like that with uh, maybe this is a good example. Cause I've had a couple other pieces like this, but like I wrote this between my undergrad and my, my masters, I wrote this really weird uh, synth concerto. So I, I wrote this really weird, like, uh, you know, like those uh, Korg monotrons, those little oh, micro synthesizers. you yeah, yeah. Yeah. just
0: saw Fong Tran gave a, a show at Brooklyn Bound the other night, and it's it was mind-blowing, but he, he was using yeah. those. Oh, so,
1: yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And, we, and me and Fong talked about it a lot, because when I lived in New York, we were we were roommates, actually. Oh, wow. And we met before there, and we went to – we did NYU at the same time, studied with Michael, et cetera, right? Mm-hmm. So we've talked about a lot of those things. But, yeah, right before I – I right before I submitted my master's applications, I wrote this three movement, 15-minute, really weird Korg Monotron concerto. And it's mm-hmm. it's kind of really silly. It's kind of like a it's kind of like an anti-concerto in some ways. It's kind of like a a meta, kind of like, you know, uh, you know what I mean. It's it's very strange and it's definitely kind of quirky and supposed to be funny in a way. Mm-hmm. And so I wrote this piece and I was like really stoked on it and my former like composition professor was really stoked on it and it also didn't speaking of the grind it also didn't feel like a grind to write it like i just like churn churned it out it was my first ever like piece with orchestral instrumentation with that long but i i felt like i did a good job at orchestration considering my level at the time Mm -hmm. i was really happy with it i even like recorded samples of like some of the string record uh the some of the string extra techniques and I did made like sampler instruments in Ableton to like do a good mock-up of like the overpressure and shit like that. Like mm-hmm. I really went all, all in on it. And then and my even my former teacher at my undergrad was like, this is excellent. You need to send this to people. I'm gonna, I'm gonna like send this to an orchestra in Toronto. Mm-hmm. And it was like that was in 2014 or something like that. Twenty, yeah, 2014 and early 2015. And besides one movement getting like Uh, a a bit of a reading kind of performance in like a small space and another small student reading of sorts, that piece didn't really get a decent performance until like 2019. And a lot of people really like made fun of it, which is really hilarious. Like I had a lesson with this one guy who said like, why are you doing this? Like, and this is like, not like some conservative guy. This was like an electroacoustic, like very, very experimental like composer who worked with max and did all sorts of different stuff. And he was like, you know, no one's going to play this. Like, he's like, if you if the Toronto Symphony Orchestra program this, people would walk out and want their their money back. Like, mm-hmm. this is so silly. And and like, I remember I sent it to like multiple calls and multiple things, and and got nothing in cold call with it. And then so I thought I was like, well, you know, like maybe it was like kind of a stupid idea. Like I had fun with it. Mm-hmm. I even put it on like master's applications and like the folks at MSM listened to like a little bit of it and then like shut it off in the interview and were like, anyway, it was just like <laughs> nobody, nobody like really yeah, yeah. cared for it. But then the funny thing was, is that, so I felt like the piece was a bit of a, a failure. And then in the summer of 2019, the Canadian National Youth Orchestra had an open up, had an opening in one of their like student reading things that they had a call for and an email got shot around and said, Hey, do you have anything to throw into this? And I was like, they're not going to do this, but what the hell, like I'll throw it in. And then I get a call. It's like, yeah, we're going to read it next week and we're going to play it. And these are all like elite caliber, like, uh, like late high school, early undergraduate kids, but they like, they played it and like nailed it. And I got a good recording of it. And they were all, like, really stoked on it. Like, I remember multiple players, like, coming up to me after and being like, this is so fun. Like, I love this piece. Like, thank you for writing this. And the conductor was, like, beautiful colors and all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, man, I wrote this, like, five years ago. <laughs> you know, like, so I don't know. I don't know if that's a good example of, like, a failure, I guess. But, like, I think I definitely felt like that piece was kind of this weird, underappreciated. Like, like I wrote this thing. I thought it was this. Everybody else thought it was something else. So... You know, sometimes maybe right people just need to come across it, right?
0: Well, I think it's a good example of like, yeah, it's like sometimes stuff just needs to sit in the fridge and grow mold a little bit. Yeah. Get yeah. A little patina on it so that, you know, it's, I, I wish people, I wish the way music was digested by people was more calculable and we could just be like, oh, this piece will, well, this piece will take three years for people to really understand it or whatever. But also, it just yeah. takes the right person. A to be pushing it, you and then B somebody just to take a chance and be like yeah sure we'll program this you know and yeah, yeah. and that decision may have been that the person who decided to program it may have thought for 3 seconds about it and been like yeah, yeah. We just we just need a spot to fill on the show like and that's the only investment they have in Andrew Knowsworthy's music yeah but if what it did was result in this thing anyway i it's a good example of not just throwing anything away. John K. I mean, we had dinner at Merce Cunningham's um, in the loft where he and Cage lived together. And he was telling us stories. I was like, tell me, like, what's the thing I need to know about John Cage that nobody else knows?
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: He's, he's like, he sat at the dinner table, chain smoked cigarettes, and wrote music all night. Every, yeah. Every night. And he threw it away every day. <laughs> You know, I was like, what? He's like, yeah, it's like 95% of John Cage's output is in a landfill in New Jersey. Wow. And so now maybe that's not a good example of not throwing anything away because he threw a bunch of shit away. (laughs) But, but I think it's a good example of like, Oh wow. Like the grind John Cage was approaching composing the same way your dad and my dad thought about selling trucks or driving trucks, you know, like, yeah. And I think that sort of um, the mystique we put around the process around the grind around, a certain composer, whether it be John Cage or, or Caroline Shaw or Yaz or whoever, mm-hmm. like this idea that there's some like finger of God touches you and you have the muse and everything pours mm-hmm. out of your pen. I don't know anybody for whom that's the case. It's not the case. For yeah, Lang. it's not the case. For I Steve really Reich. don't identify it's not with the, that at all. <laughs> it's not the case for anybody. Anybody you look, Joan Tower. Like it doesn't matter who it is. Like there's a grind that they're all doing and, and, and making, I mean, I remember being, being at Sosie and Steve, we played a piece of Steve's uh, dance variations and it doesn't mm-hmm. get played very often. It's kind of a weird orchestration, like piano xylophones. And Steve was at Soci and he, we, he played it and he stopped and he's like, I gotta say, I hate this piece. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, I always have. And he's like, you guys, thank you for doing it. You've actually convinced me that there's like something in there. And he's like, I still don't think it's a great piece, but, like, so if Steve is having that moment,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know, so should you, and so should everybody else. And just like yeah. leaning into that, I think is good. So I, I would say that's a really great example of something that in terms of a process, you just never know. Um, I mean, yeah. I think, yeah, yeah. I think of somebody, the one of the first live shows I saw in New York was Tristan Parrish. Mm-hmm. And he was at the, at Tonic, his club. I don't even know if it's there anymore, but he sat down, he plugged in the CD of the one bit music, plugged mm-hmm. it into a guitar amp press play and sat on a drum set and played along with it. And I was like, what in the fuck am I watching right now? Yeah. (laughs) You know, I'm like from a cornfield. I just graduated from Yale and I'm like New York city. And this kid is like along with one bit music, you know, And now we're at this point where Tristan's being commissioned by the Met and by, you know, MoMA and he's putting up these massive, but it's like, that's from tonic. Yeah. Like those yeah. huge walls of speakers Tristan's using now, like that's all from Tonic. Like that's from him sitting down and plugging in a CD into a guitar amp, you know? And yeah, yeah. and so like, yeah, it took fifteen or twenty years to get to that.
1: But mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: it's no different.
1: I yeah, I really like I really appreciate that that kind of thing too, and like seeing those kinds of through lines and sorts like uh, I was having this conversation with with um, with actually Fong and uh, Aaron Santian and and uh, Adam Cuthbert recently about how like like it's really weird to like and it's kind of hard to see it in like real time sometimes too like it's kind of because um, like I like the stuff that Fong is is doing on like his new album that's coming out uh, which I mastered by the way it was just like was so so nice to like. It, it felt like even though I was only like mastering it and even though I was like, it's like not my music and I wasn't like collaborating necessarily on it, on this creative quote unquote level. Like when I heard the music, I was just like, man, I was like, this is so cool to hear. Cause I remember like, you know, I remember like going out for drinks with you in like 2015 and talking about like the stuff that like you wanted to do. And I mean, this is only like a six year period. We're not even talking like 15, 20 or, or something like that. And it's so, it's so nice to see that kind of like that kind of like those aspirations that, you know, like you talk about need to gestate and grind and then you like get to, and I feel the same thing with Adam, with the different projects that they're doing with like the different kinds of identities and the different kinds of almost like um, avatars with different projects uh, and really expanding like the modular sense stuff that both them and Fong are doing. Mm-hmm. Aaron is the same deal deal, like touring with her band and writing these like feedbacky guitar pieces and like things like that. Like, and I, and sometimes it's also even hard to see in yourself. Like I was like saying, like, you know, like everybody's like accomplishing these things and whatever. And like, yeah, I'm writing like these pieces and I'm doing these things, but all I can focus on is like, I'm laser focused on like just finishing this degree and getting out. Yeah. And I feel like I'm like stuck in this, like, l- like feedback loop during this degree, which I hear is everybody's experience with PhDs. Right. And I'm just like, and then I was thinking about the other day, cause I was commissioned by like Tim, you know, Tim Brady. No, the He's like a long running electric guitarist composer in, in Montreal. Him and Steve Mackey are pretty much like same age, but they're just like opposite side of the border basically. Mm -hmm. But they're all, they're also long time running friends. And Tim has an electric guitar quartet and has done like the pieces for a hundred electric guitars and et cetera in Montreal. And I wrote a piece for his quartet back in like 2019. And I'm like super happy with the piece and it's coming out on a recording next year and stuff. And I was thinking, I was like, you know what? It was like, In 2010, I saw him play and I was like, someday I want to like, I want to write for him or write for his quartet. And now it's like 10 years later and that's happening, but it's hard to see. Right. So I don't know. know, It's cool.
0: No, it's great. And it's, it's the, it's, I'm finding myself at, at 42 talking to students, like the things that now that I'm, I've had enough data points in my personal experience with what you're saying of like, all right, I've invested in these 30 things over the last 15 years, Mm -hmm. man, it's crazy to see how far so I'm that is now something I could like I can teach an investment portfolio approach to to sort of things enough (laughs) now to be like now you're not going to yield the same results maybe that I did the exact same results but trust Mm -hmm. a little bit that this moment that you feel like you're lost and no one's paying attention to you or you think that your music's not getting out there for all of these other reasons like just maybe but also put the seed in the ground and go work on another seed and just yeah come back water that one and over the long haul, yes, there will be barriers in your way that are not fair or somebody may put up in front of you just for the wrong reasons, whatever. Yeah. But overall, when you zoom out, it the stuff that we're all looking at as like, that's what I want to do. It's a bunch of people who stuck something in the ground and then just kept waking up every day, <laughs> putting a little bit of water on it.
1: <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Yeah. And and I mean like something I also the last one of the last things I I should mention on it too, that's something that I try to like grind myself or like ground myself in in order to like in order to be like okay with those kinds of things and to not like like totally go crazy or something like that and I mean I should also mention that like you know like I should mention that if people like feel like this stuff is like making them really unhealthy then yeah like it's probably not it's probably not for you you probably shouldn't do it like 100% not saying everybody should like completely drive themselves to the point of like stretching themselves completely thin in order to like feel like they're successful but like uh, one thing that I do kind of also do is like, you know, we're talking about, we're talking about like five or 10 year spans or, or, you know, something like that. And I mean, there's like so many composers who are like, weren't even appreciated, like in their lifetime, or who's who's who had a renaissance, like 50 years later, or something like that. There's so many classic examples. So it's like, you know, like, sometimes it really just doesn't matter. If you, if you enjoy doing it, you just got to grind and do it. Right. So,
0: yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it's, something you said, I'm trying to remember the exact way you said it of like, um, can you just say everything you said one more time? <laughs> the exact same yeah. way you said it. Uh, just, just this, yeah. Y- y- you don't know if what you're doing is going to have any impact mm-hmm. really. Mm-hmm. So then you really are only doing it for yourself. Like that's the only, like the only Andrew Newsworthy incorporated doesn't exist <laughs> tomorrow. If you don't get in and go whoop, and clock, clock in. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And Oh, what you were, you were saying about the, like if you're genuinely, if it's making you genuinely unhealthy um, mm-hmm. or, you know, uh, the lack of a, a, like, I don't make a lot of money, bro. Like I'm, yeah, yeah. Know, I'm, I'm by my shoelaces too. And I feel like I have a relative modicum of success in the field if I were to look at myself 20 years ago, I'd be like, yeah, bro, you did it, you know, right. <laughs> or you, right. you did yeah. something, you know? Um, but it hasn't yielded financial security necessarily, but that's something for me that the unhealthiness that injects in my life, I've decided I'm okay with that because the currency mm-hmm. I get in other ways from community, from being in, you know, in amongst other people, like there's different types of currency that, Fills in the vacuum of my unhealth that 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 was sucked out with the other stuff you know and so yeah yeah I and I I think also just be careful not you personally but people in general like yeah. a, a day or two of feeling really bummed out about your life and music is not a reason to throw it all away yeah um, yeah you know that's the that's the but but again like that's the rub right like I can't make that decision for anybody. Mm-hmm. And I certainly don't want anybody to make that decision for me. Like I'm willing to get up and put my head against a millstone and be like, "This is what I'm doing today." <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. If, and but I don't, you know, I'm I would never require that of anybody else. But if for most people who are like I want to do what you do, it's like, all right, get over here, <laughs> put your head against this millstone. Because <laughs> that's and again, like that's not the only answer. But if like people want to know what my answer is, like that's been my answer. And like you don't have to enjoy it, but. This is what I'm doing today. So come on come on over. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. No, I feel you for sure. I'm just, I'm just gonna check my phone real, real quick and make sure it's not, uh, make sure it's not gonna die. Okay, we're good. Yep, um, it's well, totally let, good. Let, just to so make ask, sure it doesn't die. Anymore.
0: Let me ask you here in the in the time remaining. Oh,
1: oops, sure. Sorry, I
0: just knocked my keyboard off. Um, two questions. <laughs> um, what what I was listening to micro locking two, mm-hmm. and uh, of all the stuff you sent me, that one, uh, like really triggered me to think a lot about the guitarists in my life that I've worked mm-hmm. with. Um, and that I've admired a lot. Fred Frith is a guitar player. I mean, you know, Fred or Noah Fred mm-hmm. teaches mm-hmm. at, I don't know if he still teaches at most colleges or if he's retired now, but so worked with him early on, like my second year in the group, we commissioned a piece of his called small time that was for percussion mm-hmm. ensemble. And there was some guitars in it that we were strumming acoustic guitars. And, um, but that was my first time learning really of Fred's music and, and sort of digging into that. Um, and there's a solo album. The cover is completely white and I can't remember the name of the album, but like yeah, I remember listening I to that and watching some videos of him, like the chains and the guitars and all this stuff. And, and he kind of just tore my brain open. And plus he's like snarky British guy who like made fun of me because I drank diet Coke at breakfast. Like it was like the absolute right down the pike, cantankerous British musician,
1: <laughs> you know? <kind> of, <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: And, Um, but his music really like imprinted on me in a heavy way. And then Bill Frizzell was one Mm -hmm. of the the first guitarists I ever saw live. He was playing with Paul Motion and Joe Lovano. Um, Mm -hmm. and then Gray McMurray, um,
1: who I don't know if you've ever crossed paths with Gray at all. Um, I've never crossed paths with him, but I love that record. He did with y'all. So I think that's like a really beautiful record. And the stuff that he did with does,
0: I don't know if they still does it with Caleb Burns. Um, he has a Mm -hmm. duo. Um, that's a lot of ambient, And he would probably slap me for using the word ambient, but (laughs) it's really beautiful and spacious and just like everything was recorded in a cistern, like that sort of vibe. And it's anyway, just like, so for you, those are like, those were the things that were coming to my head as you were playing, but I don't want to assume that those were influences for you. Like what, Mm -hmm. when you are, what imprinted on you as a guitarist, I guess, like who were the guitar players that sort of let you know that you could do what you're doing?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I should, I should also mention before I start that too, that, or before I start saying anything that that piece is um, which I I, I can't remember if I mentioned to you or not, that, that piece is actually, even though I have a bunch of guitar music and I'm currently writing an electric guitar concerto, that piece is a piece I commissioned from a Iranian Canadian composer named Saman Shahi. Right. Mm -hmm. But the interesting thing or a big reason why I sent that along with some other like pieces of mine is that, that piece was really cool to, to do with him because it was very much a back and forth collaboration of sorts. Mm-hmm. Like I won't, I won't claim the composer title on it necessarily or anything like that, but we got a, a grant to do some really extensive, like biweekly for like two months workshopping on that piece. Mm-hmm. And um, so in a lot of ways, it's really written with like a lot of the things that I like to do in, in mind, like the Digitech whammy stuff, mm-hmm. uh, the, the, it's uh, the use of the, the Earthquaker device's rainbow machine pedal is like one of my favorite pedals I use on like so much stuff. Mm-hmm. And he really wrote like extensively to use that. So it was nice because in a way it feels like it's very much like a back and forth collaboration, even though he was the one who made the score, let's say, or something like that, you know. Mm-hmm. But to, to answer your question, I mean, I think it's really like gradually changed over time. One, one big pillar that I always come back to is pretty much anybody who's ever been involved with any King Crimson project. Mm. So like like a lot of, there's a lot of bands that I've kind of come back to or I was into when I was in high school and then I got out of them blah blah blah. But I think like anything that's related to like King Crimson and then by that whole web has always been huge on me. so Robert mm. Fripp and Adrian Belew and just like anybody even even like uh, Tony Levin's work on bass, even though mm. I'm not a bassist. Um, just like all that kind of stuff has always been super cool to me. And then, and then how that extends into various other groups, like talking heads and et cetera, et cetera. Right. And all that proggy stuff, Mm -hmm. um, in the, in the like contemporary classical world, world of sorts, definitely Tim Brady was a big influence at the beginning, because when I was in my, one of the first really hardcore new music only concerts I saw in my undergrad, was this group called uh, ECM Plus from Montreal. Mm -hmm. They're like a very large mixed ensemble that do this uh, uh, generations tour every couple of years where they pick three or four, sorry, four early to mid-career composers. They commission them for new pieces and then tour them across Canada and stuff. Mm -hmm. And I saw him play as a part of the ensemble with that. And then the following year saw him do like this two-hour concert of just solo electric guitar music for just like, so I was like, oh, I was like, I don't have to like, I loved playing classical guitar and that was my applied instrument, my undergrad, but I was like, Oh, I don't have to, I don't have to like play classical guitar recitals with Mm -hmm. one electric piece on it, which Mm -hmm. happens to be Tristan Mariah's vampire or something like that. Like, you know what I mean? It was like, Mm -hmm. so, so Tim was big on that. I always come back to like fripping those for that kind of influence. And then honestly, a lot of other stuff ends up being a lot of my peers and stuff like, like Aaron's, Aaron's kind of work on guitar is super influential to me because uh, when you compare us to, even though I'm not a really hard skilled technical kind of player or really kind of like conservative technical player, I I'm definitely a little bit more trained than her. Like I can play like contrapuntally and with fingers and I did classical guitar stuff, et cetera, better score reader, but like just Aaron's understanding of like texture and like harmony and chords and pacing across like a length Mm -hmm. of time is something Mm -hmm. that, uh, as a player improviser composer something that that really came to me and it's all kind of guitar related because it's our like instruments um trying to think if there's there's definitely loads and loads i'm like blanking on you know no i mean yeah, i
0: mean as as you, know? you were saying it i was like of course steve mackey was somebody who you know he wrote he wrote so uh, a piece called blue notes and other clashes that i think he then mm-hmm. did an arrangement of with Jason, he did a duo version of it where he played all the parts on guitar with all these looping. Right. Like, and I just remember watching that being like, wow, well, that is, I've never seen anything quite like that. And, yeah, and yeah. you know, but Mark, is it Mark Rabot? Ribot? R I B O T not Mark. Yeah. That's a completely different Mark. It also yeah, highly yeah, influential yeah. Mark, but Mark Ribot. am I remembering? Is that his name?
1: Yeah. 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 I the saw ceramic him do- dog player and stuff. Yeah.
0: He did a piece by John Cage. I want to say, um, mm-hmm that was really gorgeous. Um, at like a new music gathering or something, but, mm. but yeah, I mean, guitar is one of those things that I, I think if I, between you and me, if I could go back in fifth grade, I would practice the guitar as much as I practiced drums <laughs> because I, I, I feel like I would, I'm always jealous of guitar players. There's something percussive about it. Like you're yeah. holding, a, you're holding a drum And, you know, but it's also a drum that can play beautiful chords and my snare drum and drum set cannot do that. (laughs) Maybe that's why I gravitated towards steel drums because it's like the closest I could get to a guitar,
1: but, um, no, man, I, I, totally, I totally click on that. And I mean, like, uh, and it's actually funny you'd say that because I always feel that, that kind of way with, with percussion or drums to an extent, like I always wish I had like learned classical percussion or, or had, had a music program, in high school kind of in general that would that would support of that to an extent and like played percussion like concert band and stuff like i always kind of wish i'd gone to that because like i've always been both as a composer and a player and everything like that i've always been a really rhythmically uh drawn like drawn to rhythmic things drawn to polyrhythmic things drawn to like like that was really my big draw to like prog rock and like math core and math Mm -hmm. rock and all that kind of thing was the weird rhythms and like those kinds of things you know and, like, I'm, I feel like I'm always, like, tapping. Everybody always talks about how I'm always tapping something, and I'm always, like, tapping out rhythms. And, like, I'm very, like, kind of, I've always been like that with my hands, and people always assume, oh, you must be a percussionist or something. I say, no, I'm a guitarist. But, like, I do feel very percussively about guitar. I mean, even, even my classical guitar teacher in my undergrad, like, Sylvie Prue, once said to me when we were talking about, like, tone, she was like, I don't think of the classical guitar as a string instrument. In fact, I wish it was never in the string categories and music festivals and in competitions, because it's a percussion instrument. You're attacking mm. the strings. You're it's plucked, right. Or whether you right, use right, a pick right. or your fingers. So it's, and of course you can play it really percussively with those tap style players and stuff, you know? Um, so, yeah, I don't know. It's uh, yeah. It, I, I don't know if that really answers or adds very much, but yeah, I, I associate the same kind it of does. thing. I, right? I, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah, the just just the
0: sort of uh, mindsets of different instruments groups, you know, and I I feel mm-hmm. like the more I learn, the more I feel like guitar, percussion, and harp, and piano overlap in ways that most that sort of I think I think if we had a big party with pianists, harpists, per- percussionists, and guitarists, <laughs> and no one else was allowed in. Yeah, that'd be a pretty big rager. I think, I think we'd all get in the room and be like, thank God everybody else is gone, huh? Like, <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah, yeah, we all get along more than we yeah. realize.
0: Um, well, Andrea, yeah, just in there's the time,
1: a weird kindred thing, you
0: know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. totally, totally. Um, just in the time remaining, I, I wanted to sort of just pick your brain a little bit about the, the sort of, uh, for better or worse, the impetus for us talking, um, <laughs> yeah. you know, uh, and I want to just cop to, I mean, my podcast is called Concert Honesty, and I want to be I just want to be honest with folks. Um, I am glad that you that you commented. Okay. And I'm. And I'm, well, I'm just sorry. I'm just going to say some things, and it's not really thought through. But when yeah. you com- when you yeah. commented, I had a real bad reaction of like, "Oh my God, this guy hates me," and I and I <laughs> that must be the truth. And I spent a, a, a I've been spending a lot of time just thinking about like why I. Why? Okay. Why do I, my feelings aren't proof of anything, right? Or at least I I believe that they're not proof inherently of I'm correct about something. Mm -hmm. Um, I am really general. My question is sort of just large and it's more of an observation. I'm noticing a more and more disconnect personally with my ability to communicate health in a healthy way online, Personally, I feel like, I guess not communicate. Like, I have no problem being like, hey, this was an awesome piece. Check this out. Or, hey, publish your music, and here's a link of a piece I think is great. Like, that's easy. Um, Mm -hmm. The minute any post goes to the next level of like, hey, I think you're wrong, or I think you need to think about this. And I'm asking this question out of, like, this is a big weakness of mine. I have a podcast. I will talk to anyone. Not mm-hmm. anything, and I've done all over 300 of them between the drumming at 50 podcasts, which were all happening during a really intense time in you know in the, mu- in the new music in the world. All this stuff, like I had that was I'm fine to do that that level, and they were not easy discussions. All of them, some of them were really intense, really and not not dark, but just like ah, it was it was. But as soon as one comment yeah. happens on a Facebook post, I'm just like no 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 no, and I shut down, <laughs> and it bums me out, Andrew, because. I I was like, let me talk to Andrew. Let mm-hmm. me at least go that route and then lean into my my fear and anxiety here. And I was right. Talking to you for the last thirty nine minutes, even though I've stolen thirty nine minutes of your life. Yeah, that's okay. Had I known that first about you, I think my my feelings would have been like, oh, well, this is easy. Like, I mean, not easy, but like, I would not have had that feeling. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I guess I'm wondering like, are, do you think human, am I crazy or am I like, just with <laughs> my worldview completely, I, I, you know, I have unhealthiness in terms of online culture. I guess I'm worried about myself and I'm worried about all of us and our ability to, to have discussions. I don't know that we're able to do it online. I think I'm really mm. worried about our ability to, cause what you, what you said was about something I was saying, like, like listening to different viewpoints as a way of like sharpening your own arguments. Like, I'm not mm-hmm. saying you need to agree with other arguments, but but just like being like, oh, yeah, that actually reinforces. I actually do believe what I think. You know, mm-hmm. that was my mm-hmm. intent. And I I felt like you misread what I was trying to say. And then mm. I was in a position of like, how do I defend myself? And it's like, well, that that's proof that we're not actually proof that I might be defensive, but also maybe that we're not having a conversation on a healthy premise to begin with. Like we're trying to have a discussion on a, on a forum where there's 4,000 other people who I don't know watching us have this discussion, you know? Mm -hmm. And so anyway, I just wanted to be honest with you about like my reaction to that post as proof that like, I'm, I'm a wuss with online discussions, (laughs) but I'm not having them face to face. And I just, I wanted to ask you like, what, what do we need to do better?
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know. I mean, I should, I'm going to, I'm going to try not to go off on, on like massive tangent or whatever, but there is a couple things I should, besides, besides answering that question for sure. I, I, uh, there's a couple things I should mention that, uh, to go off of some of the things you were just saying a minute ago, for sure. Um, there's essentially there's, well, first of all, I don't hate you. So, yeah.
0: no, <laughs> I, don't, I, I think I, I would really – like, unless you've been yeah, lying yeah. to me for the last 40 minutes. No, that's been, that was yeah. totally clear from the minute I went like this sure. and saw you. I was like, oh, OK. This is going to be you know, fun. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. I mean like uh, – yeah, like it's – it's. I, 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 I honestly, I don't even like know you super well. So how could I to an extent, you know? Like, I know, but that's my point. I, I, yeah. I grafted a whole world's experience onto that one
0: comment and that's not yeah. fair to you. It's not fair to no, you man, and it's I, not fair to me either, you know, like –
1: it's okay. I I do it too. Like, and I, and I, and I appreciate also, I also appreciate you being like open and honest and, and like transparent about that too. Like about how like a comment could make you feel about those kinds of things. Like I definitely have had like the same kind of thing too. Like where I'll post something and whether it's a slip up on my end or whether the actual response to it is actually just like not a very positive response or whatever it is. Like it definitely, like there's definitely days where like my day has been like thrown off. Like, I mean, there's, there's some very, very classic examples. I mean, like I didn't do anything for the first couple of days after Kendrick won the Pulitzer because I was just arguing with people online trying to like who were saying that it's right. not valid. It, and I was like, am I doing something? Like, I hear you. Like, am I doing something wrong? These people hate me now. Like, you know, like,
0: or and I think that's like, yeah, but, but, thing, yeah, but, right? but, like, but also like you're having an argument about an objectively great artist, but again, sure. like, but yeah. that's in, in defense of you you're having the discussion on a faulty platform. You know what I mean? Like, Mm. like you're having the right, you are having the right discussion. You're just having it on Facebook, you know, (laughs) or or whatever. Yeah. And
1: I think that's related a bit to like my comment too, because there's essentially two reasons why I, I commented. And the first one, the first one is that, um, even though like, I don't know you super well and we're connected on it and those kinds of things, the, what you were saying in, in that post, um, this is not a, a bad or a good thing or anything like that, but what what you were saying that post uh, like the overall vibe or the overall thing you were talking about is like seeped into a lot of the posts that you make, which, which I think is, is very, uh, which I think you do on, on purpose and with good intentions and for good reasons. So like a lot of, so it's not like that post was a one-off thing that now it's time to one-off jump in or something like that. Like it was, like the stuff that you say in that post is clearly something that you think about often and that you post about often that you talk about often, whether in person or online or something. So I figured if I had made a comment with something, that's actually something of a deep dive or a a jab or a critique or any of that kind of stuff, that it was at least not that. I thought I was like coming off, like, you know, like coming out of nowhere or something. Uh, And then you you made that, you made that clear in your comment too. Like I appreciated that. Yeah. And and the second reason is is actually related to all the things that we're talking about at the beginning, the beginning of this conversation is that I also felt I also felt knowing a little bit about your background and a little bit about what you're involved with and, and about the people that you work with and and where you come from. And I mean, I didn't know that your your dad was involved with trucks either, but I do know that you came from a small, more rural based like not a very like diverse place like New York would be or something like that as well, you know, like, or let's say something more conservative leaning or something like that, let's say. So, so I also figured, okay, well, it's something that's a regular ongoing thing and B if I'm going to talk to him or say something to him about it, I'm actually also coming from a very similar place. Like, obviously there's, there's points of our life that are very different, Hmm. but there's points where I think we are coming from the same place with it. And it's also something that I've thought a lot about and changed my changed my views on over the years, something mm. and stuff like that. And and like something that some of the things that you said in your your comment would be perhaps things that I would like a hundred percent wholeheartedly agree with, maybe like five, six, seven years ago or something like that. Kind of before New York, to be honest, or before some other things. I just I just feel like and I definitely agree with you like Facebook is like a faulty a faulty platform and I think that's maybe one of the biggest issues with the post and why I, I posted something back that was like a critique let's let's say even if it came ac- came across a little bit more jabbing was that was that you know like the it's a faulty platform because the what you said was framed in a very kind of blanket overall how do I put this in a very blanket or an overall kind of thing. And you don't have like, the, you don't really have the space to like explain every little detail or every little place that you're coming from or every, like you don't have the space to, to say all that kind of stuff. So it is a faulty platform because I know that you're coming from like a positive place and you're doing that. And, but when you say some things like that, they can be taken in like the wrong way because Because of the platform is definitely one, one big part of it, you know? So I think it was mostly just like the absolutism because like fundamentally, like I said in the post, I agree with, with what you're saying. Like fundamentally, I think, yeah, like listening to other people that do not have the same opinion as you can help you to grow and and can kind sh- of often very much or very often sharpen your viewpoints, especially like sometimes, especially with extreme things. I had this, I had this conversation a lot with one of my like oldest friends. Like there's only the four or five people that I still talk to from lab, mm-hmm. uh, from Labrador. And one of them I've had this conversation with X number of times mm-hmm. and the, the, I just think at least in my opinion and from the opinion that a lot of people I've talked to, especially people of, of any kind of, marginalized identity be it queer or trans or a person of color or any of that kind of or even just class even just like any kind of class related inequity um the people that i've had conversations with those things it's just not as easy to make those overall or general statements even if they at least in my opinion even if they're fundamentally positive or they're fundamentally what we should be doing because i think there's a big difference between say let's say taking a lesson with somebody whose music is completely different than yours, who has completely different musical objectives uh, or something like that, let's say, or, or arguing with not arguing, but, or discussing like tastes in like movies or something like that. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. and I think definitely when I hear like extreme points of view on things like, like politics, it definitely sharpens my idea or things like that, you know, but I just feel like, you and I, especially like you and I as, as white, cis, especially straight passing men, it's like we're in a privileged position where we, can, where we can kind of parse those things. But there's a lot of people that are not in privileged positions who can't parse those things because a lot of people don't want, like, people shouldn't have to listen to somebody who doesn't think they have the right to exist. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, and I know I, that's an I, extreme case. I know yeah, that's an I, extreme case, but...
0: I don't, disagree you know. with, I don't disagree with you. I mean, I think there's... I mean, there are balls and strikes. There are conversations that I will and will not have if I can perceive that... If I can read the room enough to this per, that the intentions of what this person... Where this person's coming from aren't genuine. Um, mm-hmm. I do take issue a little bit with the... Not with the idea that I'm in a position of privilege, but the idea that and, and again, this is coming from my my experiences interfacing with the like the Caribbean pan community, specifically in Brooklyn. That's where the most my the most that's the place where I where I am in the minority on mm-hmm. a regular basis in my life, where I'm I'm hyper aware of my race more than anywhere else. More than, of course more than in Soap Percussion or in any other part of my life, right? Um I think it's made me actually Uh, And and also in terms of class, like, you know, relatives I have who are, you know, addicted to heroin Mm -hmm. because of Mm -hmm. the opioid crisis and because of a physical disability that they have had their whole life. And like in discussions with them, too, the stuff that I've come away with in those has been less of feeling like, oh, I need to do this for them because they can't. Mm -hmm. And more of a like, wow, everybody thinks these people are weak and lazy and stupid and can't, you know, what I'm speaking specifically about the stereotypes I was raised about the black community, Mm -hmm. for example, they're Mm -hmm. late to everything. They're lazy, like all these things, you know, and as soon as I'm in that community, I'm aware of, oh, like, oh, laziness is absolutely not the reason there's other reasons that I still am not a hundred percent. Sure of that I'm I'm learning about, but that's something of like oh wow, I can't look at this. The, you know anyway, so it's it's made it increasingly difficult for me to sort of disempower a community by not having an expectation that I can have a discussion with you know, Kendall Williams or somebody about Ben Shapiro, for example. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. You know, the, 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 the premise behind the, the read the podcast that I, and I didn't post it out of fear to be quite honest, because I was worried about what people are going to say. Um, I have serious satellite radio. And so I'm just like, and I drive five hours a day. And so I have a lot of time to listen. And sometimes what keeps me awake and keeps me from wrecking my car is talk radio mm-hmm. just because it's the only thing that keeps me like I could smoke cigarettes or I could, Listen to Rush Limbaugh, you know? Right, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I listen to it, and it horrifies me 99% of the time. But then at the end of one Ben Shapiro podcast, he's like, my next podcast will be with Neil deGrasse Tyson. We'll talk, we're will talk. we going to talk about religion. Neil is not mm-hmm. an atheist, but he's also an astrophysicist who has very strong views on where religion and science. And Ben Shapiro mm-hmm. is, is an Orthodox Jew who has very strong feelings on Judaism, right? And I was like, wait a minute. He's talking to Neil deGrasse Tyson, who I adore, who's one of the smartest people on the planet, runs the Hayden Planetarium in New York City. I would kill to have him on my podcast. Mm-hmm. All right, and that was a moment, Andrew, for me where I was like, no, uh oh, like I have, I just lost Neil deGrasse Tyson to the dark side. You know, yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah, I was yeah. really bummed to be honest. Like, like how the fuck could Neil do that? Yeah, and then I li- yeah. then I listened, and I got to tell you, it was. And my wife's a Lutheran Sheesh. pastor, so we talk about religion a lot. Andrew, it was one of the most genuine conversations I have heard between two people at all. Mm-hmm. And that's not to say – if I'm calling – yeah, let's put all the data points of Ben Shapiro in the bag, right? <laughs> like he yeah, is yeah, – yeah. I don't agree with him on anything. Mm-hmm. But if that podcast had been the first thing I ever heard of Ben and Neil, I would have been enraptured with just like, wow, the generosity of spirit here. Now, that's one data point. hmm and it made me think long and hard about what I listen to and why I listen to and who I give, who I give space personally to. Um, and again, like I, I don't have a good question here. I'm just saying like, I, I yeah, absolutely yeah. respect and, and hear what you're saying. But I think what's hard for me on Facebook is to be like, I'm saying this because of all of the experiences I've had too. But but, yeah, you're, yeah. but you said that Facebook is not, I can't actually do that. So I guess what I'm wondering is like, would it have been better for me just to post that podcast and been like, I was blown away by this conversation. Like what, mm. what like from a, and this is like maybe from a PR standpoint, like from if you were P- yeah. Josh's PR manager, like what would have been a healthier way to, for me as a 42 year old to use that platform? Cause, cause I was here when the platform was invented. Mm-hmm. I was one of the first users on Facebook mm-hmm. at mm-hmm. Yale when it was an exclusive Ivy league club, you know, and I'm from a cornfield being like, I get to be in a club, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. And, but I feel like your generation is you're better at using it or mm. at least you are more willing to use it. Um, and I guess I'm wondering like, was there a healthier way for me to to say that same exact thing? <laughs> um, yeah, or, yeah. Or is it just better to have these, con- I mean, this, I'm enjoying this conversation. I mean, this is maybe what I wish we, I would have, I wish we could do this on Facebook in real time, but none of us have that. Sure. Set, like, yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, and I, and like, I don't know if I, if I have, I mean, like, especially in the, in the position that I am in the, in the kinds of issues and the kinds of things that we're talking about is, Mm -hmm. is uh, like, I don't necessarily have an answer or I don't have the, you know, like, and I'm sure you didn't expect that I would have the absolute answer or something either. And I mean, like, and I don't, I don't think we'll come to an answer out of this, out of this conversation over that either, or, and maybe like, like we were talking about before, maybe it's something that needs to be, planted and, and gestate and, and all those kinds of things, you know? But like, um, yeah, I guess, I guess it's just the, yeah. The, I mean, the issue is, is that, hmm, I'm just saying trying to think. I mean, I do, let's, let me say this. I do think it's, it's really interesting that, and I have no doubts that that conversation was very genuine. And I do think that it, that that podcast was, must've been, it does sound very interesting to me. I think it's great. And I think that, it's really good that someone like say Neil deGrasse Tyson has the let's use bandwidth, has the bandwidth Mm -hmm. to have that conversation and to do that. Um,
0: He's a black belt. He's a black belt in
1: conversation. And I'm like, sure. I got my white belt, you know, I'm still sort of, but it's just, I just, I just try to, I guess I just try to be mindful at the end of the day of the people who like don't have that bandwidth. And then, and I don't, I don't think the people who don't have that kind of bandwidth for either let's say they've had trauma that they've faced or or any of those kinds of things. I just don't I don't think those people should need to listen to those other people, I guess. I, I know what you're saying fundamentally that potentially that if anybody listened to somebody who opposed them, that they can grow from from that. But I don't I don't think that like like what we're talking about with music. Before, I don't think that it should be at, and I don't think that you think it should be at the expense of someone's health either, but I just don't think that it it should be at the expense of somebody's health and it's, and it's just not as wide of a, of a, of a statement. And I mean, that's not even getting into the, which is, which is the debate that I mostly have with my friend from lab all the time is that is, is the idea of the platform, you know? Okay. So like the idea is like, should we have conversations with, you know, people like that are like affiliated with like Trump or people like, like Alex Jones, like should Alex Jones, someone like that have a platform? Because the, the fact is, is that like he validates and gives power to people who have very dangerous and violent views who do things. And I mean, I'm all a believer in, in you know, like hearing people out and freedom of speech, like fundamentally and things like that. But I guess I just like realistically feel like we don't always have that luxury. And some people have that luxury more than other people. I wish everybody had that, that luxury. And I, and I, I don't, and something else I I forgot to mention, like another big reason why I did comment too, is because I know that you're somebody whose music is, especially with the steel pan ensemble is very heavily engaged with things from the black diaspora, right? Like that's like a big part of, you know, so you're, you know, you're somebody who, is like a major pillar of an ally. Like, you know, like you're, you're heavily involved with that and, and as you should be, and I'm sure you think a lot of, about that and that kind of thing. So it's just, and maybe it's something more on, on Facebook side or something like that. But, you know, when there's kind of generalized statements like that, I think it makes some people who feel like they don't have the bandwidth potentially, it makes those people feel like they're maybe not being heard. Do you know what I mean? Like and yeah, I know that and, you don't mean to do that, right? And that's yeah, why I commented. Right? Yeah, not at all. So, and I
0: I think some of the thing too that like I would never maybe what I can do well and I don't know, maybe I'm totally not hearing everything you're saying, but like it seems like one of the things that I can get better at in terms of what I'm trying to convey to people is that and I think I said this in one of the, the comments that to the comments to you or the reply to you was like, uh, to be clear, like I'm not requiring this. Like I would never force yeah. anybody, never force. I don't think anybody, I have no need personally for anybody to do to listen to the Ben Shapiro podcast. But yeah, for me, it, ha- it helped me. And so mm-hmm. I would love for, if there's anybody out there who's like, has any, just as even wondering, would this help me? What I'm saying yeah. is it might and give it a yeah. shot because it might actually reinforce your worldview enough so that when you're having a conversation, you don't actually get heated and start screaming. You have an emotional, you have a, you have a rational founding in a, in a, a series of tools to, to call upon to defend mm-hmm. your, your viewpoint. Um, because a lack of anger in those conversations is what actually allows eventually for common ground and understanding. But, but Andrew, this is, I, I you proved my point and I'm glad you prove my point to me, and I say that as a compliment, that I I think face-to-face conversations about everything in life is better. And my door for this podcast is always open to you. Um and uh yeah, I just I'm really great. I'm really glad that I didn't just ignore the comment.
1: Yeah, and and I'm because I'm glad that I did comment and I'm I'm glad you didn't ignore it as well. Like if I didn't if I didn't think that there was a chance for a positive in- engagement of, of any kind, whether that be in a response, or now even better, this, this conversation. Yeah. If I didn't think that there was a chance for a positive in- engagement, I would have hid you or took you off there, like, like <laughs> hit like the I've snooze, with hit so the many snooze. Racist relevance, or you know, like, like well, I relative. hope
0: I'm not in the racist relative category. No, but, no, but, of
1: course, 100. 100%, 100% percent I hope not, I have to do a right? lot
0: more to get in that category than I currently have done. But, um, <laughs> but but Andrew, give my best to uh, give my best to Yaz, and I'm really pumped to see the rest of you know the, the projects you're you're coming out with, and I've really enjoyed listening to your music, and I've enjoyed chatting with you a bunch, and I hope someday we get to sit in an international big rig. And yeah, roll yeah. over an, an ice road together. That would be a life dream of mine. So
1: if you can make that happen yeah. for
0: me, buddy, you're my one. Con- my dad's dead now, so I don't have any contacts mm-hmm. in, the, in the trucker world. So you're my one.
1: Um, I'll see if I can pull some strings with, I, with mine. He's going back on the road next <laughs> yeah, week. So I appreciate I'll see what that. I can do. Well, man, stay healthy
0: I- and safe. And I'll look forward to chatting with you again soon. All right.
1: You too, man. I appreciate being on here. So thanks. All right. Take it easy. Bye. Okay.
0: Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Okay. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. This podcast is brought to you by liquid drum, liquid down in Waco, Texas. Uh, my good friend, Todd Meehan runs an amazing percussion company down there. Great merch, great content. Check them out. Liquidrum.com. Also, Kyle Dunleavy, dunleavypans.com, D-U-N-L-E-A-V-Y-Pans.com. Kyle Dunleavy makes and builds all the steel drums that I perform and teach on, uh, in so percussion as well as at NYU and Princeton. Uh, he's an amazing, amazing tuner, builder, um, just a really nice guy, very dependable. Check him out. If you are interested at all in steel pan advocacy, uh, want to learn more about the goings-on uh, in pan in Brooklyn, check out paninmotion.com. My good friend Kendall Williams, uh, Jerry Guy, Trisha Guy, and uh, Arisha John run an amazing organization called paninmotion.com. Check them out. And finally, Alejandre Mirage runs an amazing uh, clothing apparel company in Brooklyn that is steel pan-centric. You can check him out at Mango Chow, C-H-O-W, clothing.com. I own a bunch of his shirts. They're amazing, very stylish, uh, beautiful, beautifully made. Check them out. MangoChowClothing.com. Okay, hope you're well. Talk to you soon. Bye.